Welcome to 80s Music Exposed, the podcast in which we review all the best albums of the 80s, one month at a time. We will break them down, give you the skinny, and duke it out over whether you should or should not dig these back out again. If you are ready for an 80s music deep dive, from Public Enemy to Wham, Eno to XTC, Madonna, hair metal, reggae, and all points in between, then crank the boombox, turn the Walkman up to 10, and ooh, let's go. Welcome to 80s Music Exposed. I am Henry with a great mic. I am <laughs> I'm Chris with a okay mic. I'm Megan with a work-supplied mic. <laughs> Megan, this is your first like regular episode where you were joining us for the whole entire episode. Yes, it is. Welcome. We were able to finagle you, wrestle you to the whole pod experience. Mm-hmm. We had such a good time with uh, Nebraska um, yeah. listeners that uh, I, we know this is going to work really well, too. It's fun. I can always talk about the boss. And if you guys missed it, the, our last episode was a single album episode where we covered Nebraska by Bruce Springsteen. And we're back now to our regular format with July of 1982. Um, and you know, and I wanted to welcome all of our new listeners, international new listeners. Oh, wow. Yes. That, uh, they love us over there in Europe. Uh, let me tell you. Uh, <laughs> Are you highest- sure this, uh, Henry, I'm still not convinced this isn't just one person traveling around Europe. Europe that's is so- a very general <laughs> yeah, description. Like, where are we know. talking in Europe? There are 153 people in Walsall, England, town of about 67,000. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> listening. There we go. Also, also about a hundred people in Blackheath, England. Hello, Blackheath, England. What's nice. the, what's their accent sound like? Hello. Yeah, probably pretty similar. <laughs> they all no, <laughs> real coffee. And now we lost all of them. We lost Hello, all of them. Mate. I'm a street sleeper. <laughs> anyway, thanks so much for listening. Uh, we really appreciate it. We see you and acknowledge you. Thanks a lot. Also, um, I wanted to mention the uh, YouTube feed that we've got. We have a, a special YouTube channel for 80s Music Exposed. We put it up. We call it the raw feed. Basically, you hear everything. You know, So the bits that podcasters have uh, is sort of edited down for content and for listenability and the occasional crude joke. Um, but, but YouTube listeners get the whole deal, get the whole enchilada. They get to know what we look like, what we sound like, where we are, the environment, and all of that stuff. So uh, keep that in mind. And it's just you a get to re- see it, that uh, beautiful sunflower painting behind right. Henry. I don't think they care much about that. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I've noticed it before. Everybody wants to see Henry's sunflower <laughs> painting for sure. Definitely. All right. Uh, we have some bad news right off yeah, the top. I had to get this out of the way, man. Yes. Eddie Van Halen passed away since the last time we talked. It's fucking bummer. But yeah, it's it sucks because Henry, I know growing up, uh, both you and I, I don't. It was kind of our whole generation. Even if you weren't really into metal or heavy music, everybody loved Eddie Van Halen. Um, well, you can't. I mean, if you were that age, you, even if you didn't like the other people that listened to Van Halen, right? He was always there. It's kind of a constant in your life, mm-hmm. you know. He yeah. was a big deal. He's always very like happy, and I mean, he did uh, what Michael Jackson song is it? Beat it. Yeah, he beat played it, a solo yeah. for Beat It. Yeah, so I mean, he was kind of like everywhere in that time era a little bit, not just with Van Halen. 
Like yeah. I know. And also I wanted to mention this. I don't know if you guys remember a band called the outfield. Do you remember? Oh them yeah. At all? That's so, your love, right? Well, <laughs> I mean, I don't know that I loved them, but the guy, Tony, Lewis, no, the song, your love. Oh, oh yeah. 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 Not your long lost love. Not like, your, not I thought your you were trying to say love. I loved like that's my the outfield or my long lost love. They were, however, <laughs> they were, however, the first like live rock band I ever saw. Nice. They opened up for Starship. Oh wow! Like, yeah, and it was the first live concert I had ever gone to. The Knee Deep in the Hoopla tour, <laughs> and to, <laughs> the guy's name was Tony Lewis, and it was at Carolyn's Palladium in Charlotte. And I'll never forget. Uh, that experience, but he passed away age 62. I really like knee deep in the hoopla. Mm, the knee deep in the hoopla <laughs> tour. Yeah. It's awesome. That's a great name for any. Grace slick wore a cow print pants, like yoga pants. Was know, this during spots. the, uh, we built this city era starship. starship? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Ugh. Oof, Henry. So <laughs> let's, uh, let's do some significant events. What do you guys say? Right, so we are going to go back to July of 1982, and the first significant event, Henry. Uh, I don't know if you guys are watching The Vow um, on HBO. It's about the yes. Nexium cult. Okay, uh, mm-hmm. Allison Mack of The Vow fame was born on the 29th of July of 1982. Now that that is a significant event. <laughs> I think it you is. You know, <laughs> I am fascinated by this thing, this cult. I just don't understand how people like. A cult has never appealed to me. So anytime I hear about these cults, they're all similar in some ways. And it's just like, I would just not let myself like be treated that way by people. And like, I don't know. Here's the, here's my take on the cults. Cause I, there's another one on Netflix that had a big documentary that uh, about the guy that was the guru out. And I think it was California or Idaho. Oh yeah. Like wild, wild. Yes. Yeah. Wild, wild west or something. Yeah. All, yeah. of, all yeah. cults to me look like a lot of fucking fun at the beginning. Like everybody. Well, yeah. I mean, the guy it. said, you don't join something that you know is going to suck. Right. Like, right. You, it, it, you, you join an awesome thing. Right. Right. Everyone's having a great time. So I like cults in the beginning. I just don't know. Yeah. They get kind of Is playing volleyball in the middle of the night. Fun. <laughs> fun. I don't know. See, that's where I would. I don't, I don't think that, that sounds fun. Volleyball no, I know. sounds I fun to me. I would have bowed out at that point too. I think. <laughs> I was like, no thanks. Yeah. Also in July of 1982, actor Vic Morrow and two children on the set of the Twilight Zone movie were killed. I believe. Is that not? Yep. Yeah. Yep. Do you guys remember that at all? I do remember it. I think it was. I've seen the footage of that before and it's pretty wild. Something to do with yeah. a helicopter, right? Yeah. So yeah. The, the helicopter slammed into the ground and got Vic Morrow and it got the, he was carrying two girls, two yeah. little girls, got him and her and crushed the little girl. Anyway, it was a huge deal because the, the industry had to then start accounting for their actions you know, when they started doing these major pyrotechnic things. But the footage, like you said, Megan, is on the internet. You can see yeah, the... Yeah, uh, like, you don't see the nitty-gritty, no, obviously, but, you, but, like, when you see the helicopter mm-hmm. land, I mean, when you know what happened, it's like, okay, that's when that happened. 
Yeah, and I don't. That was I very don't controversial. Think... Even now, that's still like, I mean, something that you know we all know about. Like, and I'm sure a lot of people, even in my age group, know about that. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's Jennifer Jason Lee's dad. Really? Oh, I yeah. didn't know Nick that. Nick Morrow wow. was Jennifer Jason Lee's dad, which I didn't know. But I didn't know that either. Until wow. I, I think I watched something and they mentioned the story. All right. Anyway, that happened. That happened in July of '82. On that upbeat note, why don't we head back to uh, 2020 and do some album reviews? <laughs> Sounds back good. Back to 2020. I know it's I don't horrible, know if that's uplifting it? or not. <laughs> Buckle up. Here we go. <laughs> My theme for the episode is cotton candy. Cotton candy. Lots of sugary fluff. (laughs) (laughs) I also like knee deep in the hoopla. That's right. Yeah, no, I I find these reviews, there's going to be a lot, there's going to be a lot of nice fluffy cotton candy in these, in these uh, reviews that we're doing. I really enjoyed this episode and a couple of the albums I knew I was going to like because I already liked them. But then there were also some surprises. Surprises, for sure. well, cool. Well, let's get right into it. The first one is by a band called Dexy's Midnight Runners. The album is called Two Rye, and this is an all music five star album. And we're going to play, of course, "Come On Eileen." You know, I I don't know if I can tell you what Northern <laughs> Soul is. I, Blue I think, Eyed Soul. I guess I think I can identify. If you play it for me, I can say, okay, that's Northern Soul. But I can't. I could not explain to somebody what it is. Could y'all? I don't know. That would be a hard genre to describe, and I think it is almost easier when you can like mention specific bands to people. Because mm-hmm. even like ABC a little bit, like Martin Fry, like kind of like that style of singing, even like Brian Ferry a little bit, like kind of that like white Englishman kind of version mm-hmm. of soul. And this album, like I feel like Come On Eileen is not a very good song. I mean, to me, maybe it's just because I've heard it so many times, but when I listen to the rest of the album, 
I did get the feel that like, oh, these are actually like very talented, like songwriters and musicians. And you got more of like the soul element to it. I think like it was way different than I thought it was going to be. The interesting part of this is the transition to me from the first album to this. So they were searching for like their own style. It reminded me a lot of um, Adam Ant in a way, like trying to develop their own kind of sound. The first album is very much um, Northern Soul stuff with a big uh, horn section and what like your traditional R&B instruments. And of course, the whole Northern Soul thing is kind of like English people uh, who are fascinated with American R&B. That's kind of the breakdown of it. But mm-hmm. but for Which this album... Been, I mean, a thing since the Rolling Stones. Even. Yeah, sure. And I mean, and and I think the interesting part to me is in between... So they, they did that on the first album, and then I guess they didn't get the kind of uh, response that they were looking for. And Kevin Rowland was like, we have to still do something that's more our own. And he broke out into this, let's do it, but let's do it with like traditional Irish instruments. They are not Irish, okay? They're from the Midlands of England, which is like mm-hmm. north of London. So, the so like part. Birmingham? Yeah, like Birmingham. And like, so they, like he all, he started making everybody wear overalls and bandanas and stuff to, to, to seem more like. Is that what Irish people are known for? Well, that's what's oh. funny. It's like that, that's kind of like his version of what he thinks like Irish people with banjos and, you know. Farm clothes. Right. And you know, baggy pants. And so I, I was reading too, which yeah. I thought was funny, was that they, the horn section kind of got left out in the cold. And they were all members of the band, but they were kind of like, this fucking sucks. Like, what are you doing? Like, we're not going to play soul music with like, to me, it'd be like what we would do if we like mixed Hee Haw with Aretha Franklin or attempted to mix uh, Hee Haw with Aretha Franklin. But it kind of works in a way. And I, and the one thing that worked for me the whole way through, which I, I, I didn't like the record, but Kevin Rowan can really sing. Yeah, so, yeah he, he can. But, and, and when he sings, it sounds like he's two seconds from breaking down into tears. Which I you liked. Know? I mean, I was surprised. I did too. Um, I know, Megan, you kind of liked the, the record. And I honestly mm-hmm. didn't know much of it except the one song. But I was just impressed over and over by his voice. Mm-hmm. That's how I felt, too, because I knew it so much just by that one song. So, like, when I listened to the rest of the album, like, it didn't really sound as much like yeah, that. Yeah, there wasn't, um, like, so I didn't like feel this, any con- continuity. Like, no, I didn't feel... Like, that song like I, did not, like... It, but then I thought that I made it up in my head because I know that he stole that song from that other guy, Kevin Archer. Remember in the 90s, Kevin Rollins said that he stole that song? Oh, I don't um, know about that. He, he said, he the guy left the band early in 1981 and then Kevin Rowland said he ba- that he stole that song from the guy that left the band. Not only did he steal the song but he he kind of credits Kevin Archer for coming up with that sound or the idea for that sound really? and then he he took off with it and kind of uh, stole it. I think I I know I don't know if you looked into Kevin Rowland's um solo career after which is very interesting because he um is um a cross dresser and oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, and that was a uh, his second album cover, solo album cover. He was in drag, and it really decimated. People weren't ready for that at that time. He was way ahead of his time. What year was that? Do you know? 
That was like oh, 88 gosh. or 89. Um, oh, yeah. You mean when he came out or when he did the solo? Well, he's not, he's not gay. Well, I mean, it's like when the, re- when the solo record. Oh, well, yeah. It came out in like the late 80s. And okay. he was trying desperately to get back, to, to get to like what he was about. And he felt like he got painted with this, with this whole Irish Northern Soul thing um, from this mm-hmm. album. And it kind of got typecast in it. So um, the album was called My Beauty, by the way, the, the, the one that had the cross-dressing controversy. But he's a great singer. I think he's a really creative person. And if you look at that album cover now, it's pretty tame by our oh, sure. 2020 well, standards. Well, even then, that was like after like Boy George. Like, right. right. And I would totally consider like Boy George like a cross-dresser. I, I think Boy George is gay, too. Not that all cross-dressers are gay. No, right, 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 right. Yeah. right, right. right. But... You know, so I mean, it's weird that that even then was that big of a deal. But I guess, obviously, as the times have taught us, some things don't change. Yes. So, so I mean, Come On Eileen was a song that I heard on MTV mm-hmm. on my grandparents. We didn't have MTV at home. So when I went to my grandparents, they had cable and they had MTV. So I spent a lot of my time at grandparents, like looking at MTV. Mm-hmm. And that song was in rotation along with, I think, like Allentown by Billy Joel <laughs> and White Wedding. And up those, I, yeah. I, mean, I, may, have my, I may have my timeline screwed up. I, 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 didn't, I didn't understand Dexie's Midnight Runners. They sounded kind of exotic to me. And I thought, I think incident. I thought they really, I think I thought they really looked like that. Mm-hmm. You know, like I thought, uh huh. At the time, that's what I thought. But it is it is cool though the the parallel because like even the name did I think hit correctly Henry for you it, it created this weird thing that I think again for me like Adam and the Ants did like are they starting their own gang like what is this and then, yeah. like they dressed in a certain way like is he trying to start a movement like is he trying to start his own it, it's really weird to me how it parallels although I like Adam and the Ants a lot better um, yeah. It seems like it's kind of the same sort of thing where he was like reaching for his own kind of cult following, which was which was cool. I applaud. I, I also think Henry it was. I, I would like to get your take on this. Coming from the South uh, in the eighties, uh, the Southern part of America, mm-hmm. I didn't think it was all that weird because I saw people in overalls all the time. <laughs> so, I, and I heard banjos a lot too. So I was just always like, ah, that's just kind of like shitty. Shitty stuff I hear. <laughs> anyway, well, even from the Midwest, I didn't think of it like right. People, yeah, yeah. People wear like overalls now, and like I know people who play the band. Right, <laughs> right. They definitely it seemed like they were cultivating a brand of some kind. Exactly. But, mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, and I think it kind of like actually worked against them a little bit in the long run. If you go back and check out their first album, it's like it's like it's a dry run. They're doing the same mm-hmm. thing, but like with suits and very like. Mm. white R&B kind of thing, like the Blues Brothers kind of thing. Um, This album also, I wanted to mention, reminded me a lot of that movie, The Commitments. Do you guys remember that movie? Yes, I do remember it. Okay. It's like Irish people, and it's about Irish people that form an R&B band. Hmm. Um, I might have to check that out then. Yeah, but it was like, whoa, okay, maybe they got this from from, uh, Dexy's Midnight Runners. I mean, I just think, I think that, I really believe that the Come On Eileen song had strong hooks and and was a single. I, I found it very hard to get into the rest of it. I don't know if I just have an aversion to Northern Soul or what. 
Yeah, I'm going to give it a thumbs down. I think it's interesting. I think the story and like the imprint it left on us visually is is um, more exciting than the record for me. Like, I think you guys said it perfectly. Like, you can remember different things about them almost like mm-hmm. as a brand more than the music. So I'm going to give the album a thumbs down, but I give the effort. I applaud the effort. Hey, oh, by the way, you, did you guys read about where they got the name for the band? No. That's something weird because it would go like, it would be like Dexy's Midnight Runners, Dexy's Midnight Runners with Kevin Rowland, Dexy's Midnight Runners with the Emerald Express, right? The I guess that's the horn outfit with them or whatever. And, um, but a, a Dexy's apparently is like a club drug, I guess. Yeah, it's like Dexedrine. Oh, like, oh okay. Yeah, Dexedrine, yeah. I think. Something like that. And they would, apparently they would dance and dance and dance on that stuff. Yeah, I like the name a lot better after I heard that. I was like, oh. Yeah, that makes me seem way cool. <laughs> that's cool, yeah. Not to be an asshole. I know it's probably bad, but. <laughs> so I'm a thumbs down. Henry, it sounds like you are. Megan, you yeah, can give but, your I'm first down, but... thumbs up or down uh, without the having to wait. The only reason I'm thumbs up on this one is because I had so, like, I've, I had such low expectations just because I view Come On Eileen, that's such like a joke song. Right. Mm. At this point, I mean, like, I don't know, it's just been, it's on every, like, 80s compilation. So I was impressed that, like, the rest of the album was actually pretty decent compared All right. to that. Awesome. <laughs> All right. So the next record we're going to consider is by a little band called the Pointer Sisters. Anybody remember the Pointer Sisters? Who doesn't? The record was called So Excited, and we're going to listen to part of a song called I'm So Excited. <laughs> Excited. <laughs> I'm so, I'm so excited. excited. I spilled wine. In my oh, <laughs> was it because you were dancing? I got, so, I got yeah. so excited. I spilled my wine. I just can't hide it. I bet you guys didn't know that the Pointer Sisters wrote a famous country song, apparently. Did you guys know that? I did not. No, I'm not super surprised that they were songwriters, though. So they started out as a pair. It was June and Bonnie. And it was called Pointers a Pair. And then this, uh, their other sister, Anita, joined. They were a, a trio. And then Ruth joined, made it a quartet. Hmm. And they had a hit with a song called Fairy Tale in like 1974. They wrote the song. 
It was called uh, Fairy Tale. Uh, I had never heard it until I pulled it up on YouTube, but their whole shtick back then was 40s nostalgia. Hmm. So you'd see like they would have their hair and they'd have um, uh, flowers in their hair and I guess A-line dresses and that kind of stuff. And eventually Bonnie left the band in 78 after she married this Motown record producer and she did a solo album. And then Ruth, who was still in the band, was having another baby. And that's when they started rethinking what this group was going to be. And so that's where you hear like that's interesting, Henry. Because listening to this record, I I couldn't put my finger on it, but now that you say that, this a lot of their music sounds like pop music to me from the forties and fifties, like that my grandfather would listen to, kind of like that um, boogie woogie bugle boy from you know that oh yeah but so that's interesting you say because I was like I can't put my finger on. Why this sounds so fluffy to me, but that's that's part of it. Um, I also think it's interesting. The Pointer Sisters are a great example to me of the way that early and mid '80s R and B kind of get R and B kind of in my mind turns badly in a bad way because they get squeezed a little bit. Yeah, and it becomes like if you don't if you don't have a pop sound to your R and B, you have no chance of getting on MTV. And black artists could not get on MTV. So they R&B kind of pivoted to try to be more pop, I think, to get videos on MTV. And then, of course, by the time that MTV started playing black artists, rap came in and just crushed uh, mm-hmm. R&B in the late 80s. So I feel like, um, I do feel like the Pointer Sisters are, are a great example of early 80s R&B. I just, I just didn't like early 80s R&B. Yeah, like, I much prefer, like, old school Mm R&B over Mm -hmm. this version because you can tell, and I don't blame them for doing it, like, wanting to be more commercially successful. Like, you, especially it sounds like they were in the game for a while, too, like, Mm -hmm. trying different things, like, with their sisters. Like, they wanted to be successful, so I'm glad that they did find success. I know one of them didn't one of them die recently, Mm-hmm. I think there's only one. I think there's only one left. Yeah, yeah. It's like I didn't really enjoy it. Um, they are talented, obviously, but I don't know. I mean, again, like this song, the "I'm So Excited" song. It's just like it's been in so many movies, and I, I think this record. I believe that we're catching them on the swing. First of all, I don't know that they're an album band at all. It's like <laughs> in 1980, it was like he's so shy. Everybody knows that song. Slow hand. Remember that one? Yes. Uh, I'm so excited. It's like, it's my favorite on the album, but the reason why is because it's straight to the dance floor. The rest of it is like mid-tempo songs that are just not my jam. Like, I don't know what it is about the rest of it. It felt just like the, filler, the rest of yeah. it. Yeah. I like- smooth, the smooth sax on it kind of, you know. Your favorite smooth so sax. Bad yeah. sax. Um, yeah, bad 80s sax, exactly. Because that's a whole thing, the 80s. Like, there was good 80s sax and then bad. Bad 80s. Mm-hmm. I was looking <laughs> for things on the rest of the album to find interest in, and I think, for me, the, the Prince cover or the Prince song that they did, I Feel For You, that mm-hmm. was later covered by Shaka Khan, was a great exemplified the difference in an R&B artist who didn't care about crossover doing a song versus these folks trying to have a hit from it because it's so, this one is so sterile 
compared mm-hmm. to the Shaka Khan version, which actually ironically turned out to be a hit. But mm-hmm. um, to me, this is the most lame version of a Prince song that you could hear. And yeah. it's not, I don't know it's if really- it's their fault. I'm not trying to blame them. I just think they're really going for, we don't want to offend 12 year old white girls. So maybe we can yep. be on MTV. And mm-hmm. I, I agree with you, Henry, their earlier stuff when they were still trying to just be uh, R and B, I think it's much better then it also it's just so sad that and i don't know that it's talked about enough the racism that was prevalent at mtv early on is just ridiculous it was impossible for black artists to get on mtv well Um, do you remember like i think like david bowie did he an interview with one of like the vjs or whatever and he basically called them out on the fact that they didn't play like music by black artists i believe it was mark goodman i've seen i've seen that interview yeah and he just the guy with the curly hair yes and his eyes just get huge because he's like because i mean it's not my fault dude i don't program it (laughs) yeah i know he was just the messenger kind of in that regard no but it was great because because yeah bowie was pulling no punches yeah yeah, so I'm gonna I'm gonna give this one a thumbs down just because there, there's not enough to hold on to. I don't have anything against the Pointer yeah. Sisters, and and okay. that song is iconic early '80s music. But I well, I don't. Like I mean, the there are several. They did several songs. Like I don't know if you'll call it '80s canon or not, but they did a number of like what was it? Jump for my love was an enormous hit. Right? Was that them? I don't know. Yeah, I, I keep yeah. thinking that was okay. Irene Cara, but that's them. Okay, I think so. Um, I just feel they're just very kind of, I think of the music videos and they're mm-hmm. just very like cheesy and campy, which isn't bad, but I think that they were much more talented than that. It's yeah. None yeah, of I the think- songs on this thing match the exuberance of I'm so excited and it's missing like hit making songwriting on the record. The set of songs needed to be better. Uh, I, I did feel like, when I listen, I'm so excited. I feel like I'm listening to my parents' speaker cabinet, you know? Oh, totally. You, you guys remember that? Yeah. It's like, and dreaming about what Studio 54 might be. I on. know, right? Like, maybe. Well, don't feel too bad for the Pointer Sisters. I think they had a really good career. They had a yeah, lot of uh, lo- Love Miss People. When I saw the interviews, they seemed really cool. Just not my jam. And, um, and so not a thumbs up on this one for me. Thumbs down for me as well. All right, Megan, lead us into the next album. All right, so it's Imperial Bedroom by Elvis Costello and the Attractions. Which song are we going to listen to? We are going to listen to Man Out of Time. So this is where we came to hide. When it ran from you In a private detective overcoat Dirty dead man's shoes The pretty things of Knightsbridge Lying for a minister of state Is a far cry from the northern wind here at Traitor's Gate Cause the high helios The bee has been ground down And it listens for the footsteps That would follow him around The man of my love is a crime But will you still love 
I, I'm going to kind of like rip this album a little bit. Not, not majorly, but I love Elvis Costello. I'm a big Elvis Costello fan. But comparing this song to come after listening to Come On Eileen and the Pointer Sisters, it's not even close. This song is just wonderful. So it's going to be hard for me to rip on Elvis. But Imperial Bedroom is a, is a critical darling uh, album for him. A lot of people love this album. And I am so enthralled with the three albums that came before it that this one was kind of a letdown for me. And that song was just, I mean, done. obviously this is the way it's going to be with you and me and fucking Elvis Costello. I don't know what it is. It's like, this is our line of demarcation. Go ahead, I will offer man. a slightly different perspective on Elvis Costello. <clears throat> My dad loves Elvis Costello. Like, and I, I love, like, so I love your dad. Yeah, I mean, my dad has great taste in music, like, and I definitely, I like Elvis Costello, but he's just like, I don't know, an artist that I never, like, I love a lot of he's Elvis annoying. Costello songs. He's annoying. That's the problem. Henry, he's basically annoying. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I don't think he's that annoying. I think he's a little pretentious, but I think all artists kind of are. Right. Okay. His vocals are like distinctive. You know. I think it kind of sounds the same, and I just but, felt like but highly repetitive. I, I think I'm I think I'm going blind. I think I'm losing my sense of sight. It's, I just think know, he was phoning it in a little bit on this record because I'm with, I think he's I'm such with a you, good Megan. songwriter that mm-hmm. it didn't really like he could kind of be a little lazy and like I'm just gonna do the Elvis Costello thing that I've been doing for the last yeah. two albums, See, which isn't bad. Like that's still it, good compared when it comes to, a lot to of him. When it comes to him, I'm not, he doesn't make me angry. Mm. I'm not like contemptuous. It seems like he does. Henry. I'm not I, just annoying sometimes. Mm-hmm. And it, it, and he seems to lapse into this like bitching all the time. Person that likes Billy Bragg as much as you do is going to tell me mm. about a whiny songwriter and call Elvis mm. whiny. Different. Come on, Different. man. Come on. I are going to be against you on this because I love Billy Bragg. See, I'm going to, but here, I, I, so do I. But here's the thing this record is the one that I get. This okay. is the one that I like. It was recorded the same time as Tug of War. The, the producer was fucking Jeff Emmerich. Okay. Who ruined, who ruined, who finally this, by the said, way. who finally said, hey, Elvis, sing in a different way. Let's try vocalizing things in a different way than you did before. It's, it's, he was able to highlight the strength of his cleverness in, in the music without seeming so fucking sanctimonious in himself about it. That's, that's why I like this album. There is a vibrancy and an energy to Elvis Costello up until this record that Jeff in Emmerich squeezes out with his I oh worked God. with all the greats, and I am going to turn you into one of the greats. Relax, and let it's me take over. It's the first one that's not pretentious. It's, none of them are. 
Oh, that's crazy. The, the I don't know. To me, I think this is the first one that's super pretentious. Really? Yeah, I that's think it's so more weird. pretentious because yeah. it's like, oh, now I think so too. I'm going to be an icon. Um, it's less it, like he's taking less chances, I feel like, on this record. Like, I, I, thought, I thought there was like this microscopic attention to detail on this one. Which is fair. I can see that. That's Emery. Like the, the bass. Find, you can hear the fucking bass for a change. Like, you know? He fixed that damn problem. So that's why I think this is so interesting that this is the one I like and this is the one you don't like. <laughs> this isn't a bad record, but it's just like very, it's not one of my favorite like Elvis Costello records. And it's long as hell. I know. It's like Especially 15, for that time. It's like 15 songs. Mm-hmm. I just want to say for the record, if there's Elvis Costello fans out there, um, this year's model, his second album, is considered one of the greatest bass records um, of pop music. <laughs> and so for Henry to say that you can't hear the bass is absolutely just ludicrous. He just wanted more bass. and More bass, I, I guess. And in fact, there's so much bass on those early records that that's why he eventually got rid of the bass player and there's no more attractions because he was like, his ego was too big for the two of them. He's like, you're, you're, you're dominating too much. You need to... Sounds like a new order situation. Kind of a new order situation. So um, maybe that's part of why I don't like this record because the bass is just kind of normalized on this record. And I love the bass, though. Everything on this record is just kind of saccharine and middle of the road um, to me. Comparatively, comparatively. I couldn't disagree more. Yeah, but, but you don't. So but you don't even get Elvis Costello, so I don't know that you get to have oh. an opinion. Oh, see, this is what people don't say. Don't be pretentious about this it. This is pretentious Chris. as hell. I was gonna say. <laughs> I mean, do you guys? David have, Lee Roth said that music critics like Elvis Costello because they look like him. Do you have ears? <laughs> Burn! <laughs> did you guys just hear what we just played? Com- yeah, sure comparatively, did, yeah. that is amazing music, in my opinion. Um, and I, like, and it's well, not okay. even if you put it next to the fucking Pointer Sisters and Dexys Midnight Runners, exactly. Yeah. Of course, well, but like that's not saying much, or anything on a Van Halen <laughs> record. I mean, come on, please. Yeah, um, love it anyway. Thumbs but up for me, man, I'm gonna give it an I'm gonna give it my sideways thumb because it's just not the best Elvis Costello. I'll give it a thumbs up still because it is good. It's just not one of my favorites by him, but it's still good. Excellent. And good decision. Very good. Henry, is the next one going to be my favorite record? Probably. And Henry, I can't even speak right now. So you're going to have to, you're going to have to introduce the next record. (laughs) The next record we're going to listen to is a little band called Judas Priest from a record (laughs) called Screaming for Uh, Vengeance. And the song is called, you got another thing coming.
Judas Priest seemed kind of scary to me as a kid. I think the name Judas and and Priest together. So <laughs> Judas was like the guy that betrayed Jesus. And priest had to do with religion. So in my mind, it conjured up like some negative sort of religion vibes. And I imagined those guys like flipping the crossover or something like that. Did y'all pick up that from the name of the band? I did yes, not. I love it so much. Yeah, I, I never even, I never even, I never even so went great. there. Yeah, it's great. I love that, Henry. I mean, was that like the coolest name? It was probably the coolest name for a metal band. So he is such like he has an amazing voice too. I like, know. I mean, even now as an older dude, like he still sounds great. I love like I'm not super into metal, but I love Judas Priest. Like I always have really liked them. I'm not sure why, but like there's something about them. I don't know. I just really like them. And this album is one of my favorites. But yeah, yeah, I agree. right off the bat, um, Henry, you remember this? I went, I went to a, a little place called the Record Bar that oh, they had yeah. in malls, and this album was plastered all over the window, uh, the oh, front. Amazing. And look at this album cover. I mean, what twelve-year-old kid is Are you not kidding me? Fucking buy that. I bought that just on the album cover, and then I got home and it rocked my nuts off. It's I so love good. this it's record. So good. It's so good. Like, I just have to say this right off the bat. Do you guys hear? This coming down the track. <laughs> Do you know what that sound is? Megan, you may not know what that sound is. I know what it is. Is that, that Pong or whatever? <laughs> it's close. That is, that is the sound that means we've just put another album in Chris's 80s music canon. Oh, no, oh I totally did not know that. This Sorry. album is a must listen to me. This is oh, the, this is so good. Yeah, this is the best so, metal record I think of the eighties. I mean, you can't top this. I don't know if you did. You listen to the guitars on this thing? Oh like, yeah. Even the non like metal tracks. Yeah, mm-hmm. they they sounded beautiful. I couldn't even believe the live how- version. Like I listened to the live like album of this. Amazing, all of it. The vocals, the music, like. Just an amazing group. Yeah, nobody wails like this guy. No, no, and it's it's interesting to me because British Steel, the album we reviewed from 1980, really good in the same vein, but not quite there yet. Which was interesting to me because they were like they knew what they had, and then they took a little bit of a left turn with their next record, um, Point of Entry, which they were trying to be more commercial. That I don't know if you guys went back and listened to it, but I didn't. Maybe you can tell me about it. Well, their their attempt to be more commercial was they added more like bars like bar band boogie woogie kind of sound like a boogie kind of like a blues boogie and it just (laughs) it's just like ugh. but what what i love about this album is they just were like let's get back to what we did right with british steel and they just perfected it and although a lot of metal folks say british steel is their masterpiece i think a, this is yeah there's a lot of there's a lot of, a good argument that this is it this is just british steel fine-tuned and there never should have been a point of entry album i think a lot of priest fans just try to erase point of entry completely. i mean some of his delivery sounds like a power pop band i felt yeah, like but that just like leads like i think he's just such a good front man like in addition to just he has a really great voice like he just has like, a really like great energy about him, and I love the fact that he's always been like pretty flamboyantly gay. I mean, even mm-hmm. then, like, I mean, now looking back on it, 
Makes we all can sense recognize and, it. Yeah. yeah. But, I, and I think that's really cool that he's always been like that. Like he never really compromised that. And that's gotta be a really like homophobic, especially at that time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Metal. Like. I think too, I've read, and I, I this could be wrong cause I didn't read it doing the research, but I read years ago that he said he never hit it. You know, he never, he was like, look at the way I, he's like, I basically went straight from practice to, you know, the late night, um, S&M club. So I wasn't like hiding anything, right. but he said none of his bandmates knew. They never even asked. They, they never did even they just assume that the way he dressed was just about metal. That yes. could be at that time. Like, I don't think that's really that like crazy of a way of looking at it. Cause I think fashion, especially for men was very, it was pretty flamboyant even by today's standards at that time. But do you guys think that he is the reason that metal fans went into that S&M kind of garb? Because before him, it was like the Led Zeppelin know. glam kind of look. And then I feel like he doesn't get credit for kind of like driving metal folks to that. Because I just, as a kid, I the didn't studs, think studs, like all the studded stuff. Yeah, I thought he was into that. There were so many stuff. other bands that did that, that. did that. It's really hard to pinpoint like who started doing it first. And I mean, I would think that it was Judas Priest, but like, that's also like, they were one of the most widely known right. like metal bands, especially in that style of clothing. So like, maybe they got it from somebody else. I'm not sure. But overall, I feel like the studded mm. thing, like that was like kind of the look like for metal back mm-hmm. in the day. Well, so I, I think that the pod, like our podcast is leaning hard into the best metal records there are. Yeah, for real. And so that's why we like them. I don't know that we would, unless we're particularly on it, would select a metal record that fully sucked Yeah. for the pod. And so, but this happens to be probably the best, the best one. It's so good. One thing I wanted to mention about this record is there's some like prophetic shit on here. Electric oh, sure. eye, like the surveillance state, mm-hmm. you know? It's um, not all silly, like metal. Yeah. You know yeah. I mean? like, yeah. But yeah, there was some serious band, like I think, especially just the level of talent alone. Like they're just like, I don't know. It's like very beautiful, dark, kind of mm-hmm. like just. I mean, I really think I really think Megan. I think I avoided this music back in the day because of the other guys that listened to it. That's fair. I think it's true. I think they were like the frat guy assholes, right? That we didn't. Want Which to is weird. Yeah, I was totally impressed, and I was working in the bathroom in the backyard of my. My mouth open like um, that. I was driving around town because I had to stay off and I was like doing stuff and I was just listening to it. I'm like, this is amazing. It was so fun to drive to. Like a, it's diverse, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> like oh, it's yeah. a very diverse album and you don't expect that with, with metal. Well, it's got like, you can feel like there's like when he's singing, like it just feels like he fucking means it, you know, like there's like a lot of life behind it. And it's very, it's very passionate. Like it's really, you can get into it because it's just such like, they really, I think this is like their best point as a band. They got like exactly what they were going for. Okay. So obviously I'm going to give it a thumbs up. I put it in the canon. Um, thumbs up. You guys Same. both are, yep. right? Okay. Yep. Well, that leaves us with the last record um, of the episode and it's by a band called Survivor. The name of the album is Eye of the Tiger, and the name of the song is Eye of the Tiger. (laughs) 
Did those guys ever change their pedals on the guitars? <laughs> I don't think they ever did. I think he had one setup, like the whole time. Let me ask you this, though. The one thing I did hear listening to this album is it is there is a fine line between this band, to me, and Journey. Hmm. No, no, they were the poor man's journey. Man. Yeah, yeah. don't did you think they kind of sound like like shitty, shittier, shitty journey? Shitty journey, but I'm going to give Journey this that they're significantly better than Survivor. Yeah, I really like Journey, but I found myself going in my own brain having an argument trying to defend why I like Journey better than Survivor. Journey st- uh, Survivor staked out that area of montage rock like totally <laughs> like totally. if you're the, if you are doing a montage about your thing you're trying to get the girl you're trying to box <laughs> something all that it's survivor all day on that one tip mm. like all the time well, it's like, not what other songs are they known for like they're a one hit oh they hit no no their vital signs was like the <laughs> sh- like you don't know i had a copy of this <laughs> yeah, that doesn't say much for 1982 Henry, but yeah, um, no one's gonna the, correct you. The, the vital signs was front. Why am I talking about it? I don't give a fuck. <laughs> no, I'm trying. Why am I the survivor apologist? Megan, Megan, I will say this uh, Jim Peterick, the keyboard player who co wrote I Have the Time. Oh, yes, Jim Peterick. Yes, yes, my he, favorite. He did write. He did. You said, did they have any other songs? He wrote, he co-wrote 38 specials, Rockin' Into the Night and Hold On Loosely. And he also okay. co-wrote songs for Leonard Skinner, Cheap Trick, Sammy Hagar, and REO Speedwagon. So oh, he, all of my favorites. Yeah, all your favorites. But he did have other hits, <laughs> just not with Survivor. Well, good for Jim. Yeah, I mean, good for Jim. Peterick. Yeah, like I'm glad that he found success. Yeah, I, I did too. like Dave. Or, so the guy that sang on this record was named Dave Bickler. And he wore a beret. The oh Che Guevara beret. Badass, right? <laughs> yeah. He wore the beret the same way the Loverboy guy always wore the bandana. <laughs> That's what I was literally just going to say. Yep. I'm so glad that you said that. So that was had, like his thing. And I bet he was like, fuck yeah. I wear <laughs> fuck this. yeah. What do you think Jim Peterick's autobiography was called? Ugh. Was, eye of the Tiger. It was called Through the Eye of the Tiger. Oh, no. Of course it is. So, like, Sly Stallone called them up and said, hey, I really liked whatever song they were doing. But I want some of that flavor on the Rocky Three soundtrack. Right? This is so 80s. This whole story. <laughs> he said... Now remember, remember Henry, Henry, remember this, too. Isn't, at this point, isn't Frank Stallone... Already kind of getting into movie soundtracks, Stallone's brother. I don't know, and it, like, know. and and so he's picking Survivor over his own brother in the montage <laughs> genre. So that's that's a big that's a big moment. Tough call they, to make. That's a tough call to make. So they Jim sent that the clip to Jim Peterick and said, "Hey, we need you to write a song here." And he looked at it, and they had put another one bites the dust by Queen over that part. And the reason that they called Survivors because they couldn't get the rights to another one by Sadest by Queen. Yeah, it makes me respect Queen more. I don't know why. I mean, not that Rocky's a bad franchise, but... 
So the movie. I think Survivor's more in line. The movie. This song, Eye of the Tiger, is a fucking classic. I don't know why. And it does fit with that movie. I mean, the montage, it it is really good. The problem with this album that is, uh, besides Eye of the Tiger, the entire rest of the album is boring as hell. Yeah. It's pretty, like, like, it's just, like, very generic. They have one sound, and. They haven't dialed it in to be the hit machine yet. That comes with vital signs. Oh God, Henry. Yes, you've yeah. only you got to wait. You got to wait. We're gonna get <laughs> complete. The record is completely unmemorable. Is that gonna be a one album episode? Vital signs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, classic that's, album. That's on Henry's <laughs> Henry's side Put podcast. That next to Thriller and the <laughs> Henry's got his own podcast where he's gonna cover that one. And they're you not know, even with this record. <laughs> was in the store. It had the sticker, the big old sticker on it, featured in mm-hmm. Rocky Three. Exactly. Eye of the Tiger. Eye of the Tiger, right, exactly. And I, I again, compared to Journey, because my biggest complaint with Journey has always been that they're a singles band, because yeah. their, their best album is their greatest hits album. But there's a lot of filler on Journey records, but not to the level of this. This is one song and, what, eight, eight filler tracks? Crazy. Thankfully, not a super long album, but I was kind of shocked at how long it was based on the <laughs> fact that, like, my assumption about it being like, it's all just going to be Eye of the Tiger. Right. You know like, I was it totally early. right. Don't even, you know, you turned it off early. Don't even front. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I'm I probably not, didn't. I mean, I wasn't, well, I wasn't y'all be some The only <laughs> reason I turned it off early. <laughs> I was probably doing other things. <laughs> the only but reason I, I turned it off early was I had to get to Vital Signs, Henry. Oh, you forget the yeah. song "Burning Heart." I do. I don't know anything about the song "Burning Heart." You do. You know it. I can't wait. I, we're gonna come. The search it. is over. Love was with me all the while. You could be making that up right now. Yeah, you could. You could totally be making that up. We don't know. <laughs> Yeah. Were they were they the start of pop metal or no? That's a bold stance. I, yeah, I don't know. I'm just asking. I'm just throwing it out there, spitballing. Oh, is, this consider- where it starts, is this the beginning of suck? Is what I'm trying to tell you. You may I, be you may be onto something, Henry. You may be. I don't know. It's just what I'm feeling. I don't know if you could define it, but it's just, it just sounds like this is the beginning of a slide of some sort. I would love to make them responsible for the decline. In standards of popular music, mm-hmm. this, this album was very disappointing. I mean, again, I didn't have high expectations by any means, but even then, I was disappointed. Henry, you were a fan of Aldo Nova. Which one came out first? He likes to make fun of me because I liked Aldo Nova back in the day. It's okay. It's all right. We all have our like. You have you to know, have some mm-hmm. shitty. If it's just a fantasy boy, I was, if I have to like something bad, that's really bad.
like we're all th- yeah. I, I think we're all three a thumbs down on Survivor, yeah. right? Um, all right, let's do our picks of the episode. Megan, um, we'll let you go first. All right, obviously, I have to go with Screaming for Vengeance by Judas Priest, just because, like, I was super excited. I mean, I already liked this album, but it was just a reason for me to, like, listen to it all the way through. And I listened to the live album, too. And just listening to that, I mean, it's just such, especially for now, I feel like the times, like, it's very, it's angry, but it's, like, also fun. Like, it's not super serious, but it also, you can feel, like, that passion behind it. So, I don't know. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, I'm going to agree with you. I'm going to go with Screaming for Vengeance as my favorite uh, for the episode as well. Um, It's weird that I had to end up defending Elvis Costello, even though I was going to. uh, I I didn't really like Imperial Bedroom, but um, I can't pick that as the album of the episode. Because I think the Judas Priest album is just... It is. It's like, to me, it might be the best metal record um, that we cover in the 80s. So I got to I would say that. of the 80s, probably right. it's at least in the top three. Right. I third you on that. Oh, wow. Uh, then we all go. This is a this is a three way. Wow. Judas Priest wins. Um, it was a toss. I mean, not a toss up, but it was like, do I decide between the Elvis Costello record and Judas Priest? We I thought you were going to pick one. the Elvis Costello record. No, no, That's no it. way. I didn't know. No way. Uh, but Judas Priest killed it. Mm-hmm. Excellent. All right, guys, why don't you go ahead and wrap us up, Henry? So if you like our show or you like the records we're choosing, please rate and review us on iTunes. You can listen to us on Spotify and Stitcher and Apple Podcasts. And now you can listen to us on YouTube. Uh, share it with your friends. You can chat us up on Twitter at 80s Exposed or email us at 80smusicexposed at gmail.com. My Twitter handle is at Hank G, so you can find us there. Chris, where, we, where can we find you? Uh, my Twitter handle is at TCI Duke, T-C-I-D-U-K-E. Megan, do you Megan, have a Twitter what? handle? I do not have a personal Twitter account because I've had kind of enough of the cesspool that is the internet, but <laughs> I do. <laughs> you can reach me at Instagram at Bastards of Young 92 and as of now, I do still have a Facebook. I've considered getting rid of it. Um, I've been on it less, but uh, Megan Therese on Facebook. And then 80s Music Exposed on Facebook as well. Awesome. Megan, we really enjoyed having you on this one. This was a yeah, lot it was fun super fun. Us. I, I really and, uh, enjoyed it. I thought you both were going to like the Dexys Midnight Runners album more than you both. <laughs> Did you really? Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I thought it was pretty good. But All right, guys. Hey, guess what I did for you guys? What's that? I made you a mixtape. 